Hey, welcome back, everybody. Time again for one of our favorite shows. This week with Wendy. The one show, the only show that shows you the real SoCal estate of mind. With your host, Wendy Ross. Who, after just a couple of years, wasn't really that long. <laughs> in Silicon Valley, no. She worked in Silicon Valley and all sorts of places, including Orange County. And she thought, you know, it's time for something different. And so she created Veracity Real Estate. A bespoke real estate firm designed to give you really that kind of customer care that you don't see in all segments of a high-cost market. Through it all, she's built a company of data-driven, I call them nerds, but she calls them uh, realists here, people that really know what they're doing. So let's see if we can get some real truth out of Wendy today here. I'm afraid to open the door in this one because I think she's really going to let it out. What do you think, Wendy? (laughs) Is Is this the air all your grievances show here? Yeah, okay, fine, yeah. Sort of, yeah. It's the Festivus of real estate. <laughs> Festivus, right. Remind everybody that Seinfeld thing where you, where you have to list all your complaints or something. The airing know. of grievances, yes. That's it. I like it. So it's the airing of grievances instead of at the holiday time in midsummer. And this is uh, what we're jokingly referring to as 10 things real estate agents do that make Wendy's head hurt. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. We get the Advil out and we'll let you launch in because I bet there's more than 10 probably, truth be told. I was saying that very thing this morning. I said I really had to work hard to cull the list down because there's just oh so many things. And and, and truly, you know, you know, I try to bring perspective that you don't find anywhere else. I try to bring analysis. And you do. Boy, how. <laughs> but this is not just a festivus. This, this is not just um, to have a bitch fest. This is because it's beginning to rankle me that the consumers don't even know when they're being hoodwinked anymore. No, there's just I, so I didn't. Many We've shared my stories here. You know, you just right. feel frustrated. You feel pressured. You don't feel like you get much out of this. You spend the biggest, the biggest investment you're ever going to make. Probably most of us in your life, you're going to do it a couple of times, maybe once or twice in your whole life. Precisely, not a, not a lot. And you think it would go smoother and easier, and instead it's stressful, it's uh, it's not a fun... Pro- I don't know anybody went through it and said, oh, that was fun. Yeah. And consumers don't know what they don't know. So right. Wendy's here today to talk about some of the things that may be surprising to them, because she does know how the game is played. And there's so mm-hmm. many new agents in the market, and so many agents that also have toiled for years, but just have a lack of training and have learned how to do things the wrong way. Right. And unfortunately, have perpetuated some myths around this that yeah. consumers have bought into. Well, when an agent has done something for decades and grown wealthy doing it and no one has held them accountable, why would they think they're doing something wrong? Yeah. Exactly. You know, so it really, the problem is at the top. All right. Let's start at the top. Okay. Well, you, you got to do a market review first. Yeah, here. Paul. Tell us we have, we have, I want to jump right oh, into this. Paul, Paul, I know you're an eager beaver today, aren't you? <laughs> We have so many other things to talk about before we get into the top 10 list, though. Right. Yeah. Wendy, you had a really busy week since we've been on the show. It's true. Last week, you attended the annual meeting of the Newport Beach Association of Realtors. Mm -hmm. And Otto Katrina, the California Association of Realtors president, spoke, correct? Correct. He came down for the day to, to talk to us in person, which kind of surprised me. Tell me about that meeting. What was the, what was the mood there? It was sparsely attended, which was not at all surprising. Wow. And he was coming down to talk about major changes in our industry, so everyone needed to know about it, so pretty much no one showed up. And so this is for, the, the meeting was the annual meeting for members of, so they were all realtors, brokers, mm-hmm. agents, 
of the Newport Beach Association of Realtors. Right. So it's your industry peers, those who are helping consumers buy, sell homes, (laughs) determine their investment Mm -hmm. portfolios, things like that. Right, and and in a room at the Newport Beach um, Civic Center in the community room, it was set up for probably about 60 um, people. There's probably 60 chairs placed, and there were about 20 of them filled. Well, that's another reason that mm-hmm. we have this show so that you can mm-hmm. talk about what's happening. It's so, really, really disappointing. And I have to say, I was so delighted to meet him for one because past presidents of the California Association of Realtors have not come down in person. I've only seen them um, on video calls, webinars, or Zooms. I've never had them actually fly where, down. Where are they based at? Are they based up north somewhere? It depends upon where they live. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, they uh, they have meetings um, usually in Sacramento, but now it, most of them are done But you don't Zoom. get to meet these people quite not often. Not commonly for him to get on a plane, and he's got 100 different MLS regions, and he, he personally goes to all of them, and I have great respect for that. And, and he has said that he would be on our show, so I'm delighted that sooner or later when he can find a minute in his schedule, he'll come and talk. We're working with his assistant to get on his calendar. Yeah, because this is one of the biggest trade associations in the state. I mean, real estate is a massive part of our state's economy. And for those of us who work in the industry, to not attend an event that's being um, that's, that's being addressed by our state's preeminent spokesperson is shocking and sadly not at all surprising. All right, so what were some of the surprising takeaways, though? What didn't surprise me that he that it was true, but it did surprise me that Otto said this, was he echoed what I've been saying. Statewide median price has been artificially inflated, not because prices across the board have gone up so much, but because super, super luxury homes have sold more, exponentially more, than historically. So, of course, when you sell far more at the very high end, it's going to push the median up a little. Not a lot but a little, you know? And so super luxury home sales are now subsiding greatly, whereas home sales overall are subsiding. We're seeing this, again, retrenchment. And he had said the median price was going to fall and it was going to cause people to erroneously believe that home values are falling when they're not. And I was like, bravo, here, here. Now we all know what the problem's going to be, but no one else is talking about it but me. So what are we gonna do? And he also uh, confirmed what I sadly believe to be true, and that is there is a record high number of licensed realtors now in the state of California, and a record low number of transactions. So what do you think that's gonna lead to? Shenanigans. Shenanigans. People fighting and clawing and doing whatever it takes. People fighting over the few dollars that are out there. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So, and he, he again clarified that statewide buyer demand for homes has fallen dramatically statewide. Um, it, it's fallen by another, you know, between 30 and 35%, depending upon the region and the state. And that doesn't mean necessarily buyers aren't interested in buying homes. In large part, it means the interest rates have shocked them. As we have said, paying another $20,000 a year in interest doesn't excite them. And they're erroneously waiting to see if interest rates fall back down. They're not going to people. They may fall a tiny bit, but they're not going to go back to 3%, perhaps ever in our lifetimes, because that is not economically sound. That is not fiscally responsible. It is not going to happen. So, damn it, stop it. And this is a big week of economic reports being released. So Mm -hmm. we should know more at the end of this week, which, you know, from everything we're already hearing, is only going to reinforce the fact of what you've been saying here, that the market is not going to fall. If you continue to try to time it, you're only going to time yourself out of the market. Yeah. And what people are often don't understand is that when you hear the headlines and they're already out there and they are not inaccurate, 
But when you hear the headlines that say home sales fall precipitously, home sales tumble, they mean the number of homes sold is falling. They do not mean, nor do they say, that prices are falling. Yes, prices might fall. I'm not saying they won't. I'm just saying that they haven't yet. And you sitting on the sideline waiting for them to fall is like me sitting on the sidelines waiting to lose weight. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. (laughs) I don't know. You know, but it's not very smart. You know, we might have an alien invasion this weekend, so <laughs> I'm not going to do any laundry this week because uh, it really would just be a waste first, of time. Uh, this is Get Wendy's. out your tinfoil. Yeah, right. Breaking news. Breaking news, Paul. It's been a while since we've been able to do that, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about what is happening, though. So what happened in the market last week? We're going to have this trove of, of new economic reports come out this week, so I'm right. sure next week's going to be a really juicy show. But tell us what happened last week in the Orange County residential real estate market. We had precious few, just another 400 or so active listings come on the market, and we had precious, precious few sell. Um, When we take a look at month to date, we're three weeks into the month, what, three plus a little bit. So I can tell you now, definitively, next week we're going to have a little bit of a surge because every last week of every month has this little surge it's remarkable everybody who's on commission in real estate and in escrow and in lending somehow has this compelling need to like push one more deal over the finish line so next week we should have stronger numbers it does not mean the market is turning it means it's the last week of the month that's all it means anyway so far month to date in the county overall we had 4,249 active listings we should have had 8,000 we're almost 50% under inventoried. So if you think that's a recipe for falling prices, I don't know what economic class you took. We sold 100, well, 1,445 of them um, during the month so far versus three weeks in, we should have sold 2,400 and some odd. 2,189 are presently in escrow, which is great. But if you do this math, okay, we've got 2,189 currently in escrow. We've got like, you know, 4,250 roughly for sale. If you do the math, how long would it take to sell everything we have? It's two months. you know. So functionally, we're looking at two months on the market if we were going to sell through everything we have at the current rate of opening escrows. So it's not 11 days anymore, people. Just get over it. If you see that homes are staying on the market 60 days, that's called a normal market. I was going to say, isn't <laughs> historically, though, for a home to be on a market for two months, that wouldn't have been a state of panic before, correct? No, not if the home was priced over a million dollars. Right. Historically, the homes that are the least expensive sell the fastest. So homes that are less than a million dollars in summer would usually sell between 30 and 45 days. If a home was priced over a million dollars, and granted, you know, now that homes are more expensive, let's just say 1.5 million. So if a home is priced, priced at 1.5 or over during peak summer months, you might expect them to take, you know, maybe 35 to 60 days to sell. And homes that are priced over 3 million would commonly take 60 days or longer to sell. And if homes were priced above 5 million, they would, they would commonly take six to 12 months to sell. That was normal. And while that may be a little bit different in other markets here in Orange County, the price categories you're talking about mm-hmm. is our inventory. Yeah. So this is nothing here is overwhelmingly cause for concern to you. No, no. What what did concern me was at the beginning and through most of COVID, having so many super luxury homes sell seemingly instantaneously, you know, zero to five days on the market when they would normally take 12 months. That was bizarre. And those are homes five million and above? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the super affluent clearly wanted to live wherever they wanted to live when they thought they were going to die. And, you know, good for them. They bought all the yachts. They wanted a place to park it. I get it. You know, Orange County has, you know, four large ports where they could do that. So, or harbors. So, good for them. We all have a few of those, right? Yeah, I got a couple of yachts, don't you? <laughs> Paul, where's your yacht? 
Uh, it's in the shop right now. <laughs> Hate it when that happens. <laughs> but yeah, so so that's where we are month to date. It's it we're plodding into summer. P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G, plodding into summer. It's going to be a long, slow summer like this with very little inventory, very few sales because sellers are refusing to reduce their prices and buyers are offering really stupidly low offers because they think the sky is falling and their agents aren't bright enough to inform them. I know that sounds snarky of me, but it's true. Ooh, she's getting snarky, Paul. I'm getting the popcorn out. This is gonna okay. Be this is going to be good. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's just dive in there. Are you ready to continue with the snark? Mm-hmm. It, it is my favorite. You know, we are we are emblematic of Generation X, so <laughs> we do have to lead with snark. I, I'm here to do my part. Okay. Yeah. You know, we know you're a brazen truth teller. <laughs> and besides it being fun, you really come from a place of being a consumer advocate and mm-hmm. wanting to make sure that people are being able to make the best decisions with the right set of information and, mm-hmm. and, and all information. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you're really not seeing that, correct? Correct. And and I would further qualify that to say, I want my clients to make the best possible decision based on the, the most complete information they can, whether or not I agree with it. Because it is not for me to tell them what to do. It is for me to advise them on what their options are and then execute what they tell me they want to do. In fact, I remember you sharing a story last week of speaking with potential buyer's agent mm-hmm. who seemed to be perhaps a little bit newer in the market. And she was... Certainly acted that way. And she, she was not... Um, she basically expressed that she did not want to present something to her client because that's not what she wanted to do, right? Basically, yeah. 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 Which and is illegal, correct? Correct. And, right. and I just shared with her, you know, you know, I can't do that. And you know, I can't condone that. And you know, you need to, you need to regroup and, and come back to me with a whole fresh start. I think, you know, Paul, we've talked about this a lot on the show. I think there's just such a misconception, though, that real estate agents and brokers are very well trained in the law, and they're simply not. So inadvertently or sometimes with purpose, Mm -hmm. they are breaking the laws daily, either out of literally daily, daily. Yeah. Either out of um, being uneducated about it or just trying to skip a few steps Mm -hmm. or make a few bucks quicker. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And my number one pet peeve is that as a rule, as a population, real estate professionals do not behave or communicate with one another professionally. All right. So there we have that's the first behavior that makes Wendy's head hurt. It makes me crazy. I mean, color me crazy. If you're earning $100,000 or more a year, you should learn proper conduct and proper business communication. Is that so much to ask? I think not. Well, particularly if you're going to you know, run up against these same players over and over again. Do they not assume that this builds a reputation? And then people are like, I got 100 offers. I'm not even going to consider this one or recommend this one because I know that what the problems we're going to face. Don't with go making sense now, Paul. Yeah. That's one of the first things I teach my new agents is whether or not you like the person on the other end of the table, they need to think you do. Suck it up, buttercup, and fake it. And of course, sometimes, days like today, I, I break face, you know, and you see, gee, I don't love everyone. But someone, I, I belong to a private club that closed, and someone once said, gosh, Wendy, you like everyone. I'm like, no, but that you think so means I'm doing my job properly. 
Because that's our job. Our job is to actually, literally, be an agent for someone else, which means that we have to put ourselves into a position of neutrality so we can properly convey what somebody else wants us to do. It's not our decision. And proper, polite communication goes a long way. I mean, something as simple as saying, thank you and you're welcome, or even better yet, my pleasure. You know, if a buyer's agent says, thank you for confirming this appointment, my pleasure. Do you think that erosion and incivility is just part and parcel of modern society and everything else we're dealing with? I do. I do. And I also think that this inability or unwillingness to behave in a professional capacity is a direct correlation to something that Otto Katrina said to me again, going back to the car president. He had said the bar of entry into the industry is too low. And he is correct. It is. Very few people who actually have any business acumen are in real estate. Some are. And I delight in crossing paths with them. I adore them. There are so many that know I worship the ground they walk on. They are divine. But the vast majority are not business people, have never worked in a business environment, and don't even know that they're incompetent in terms of their communication and and their delivery. You've Um, even encountered bullying, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. Overt bullying. And there's just unconscious bullying. Like One of my favorite things is in a listing in the MLS, there are parts of the MLS consumers don't see. Only agents can see these certain sections of the MLS. And very often, listing agents will demand, you must submit your offers in one PDF. And with purchase agreements now, it is quite customary and often required to send proof of their loan approval and proof of sufficient additional assets to close the sale. You deliver it all at the same time. So many of these yahoos demand that you deliver this information in one PDF, which can often be a 60-page PDF, which is too big for anyone to open. It's often undeliverable through you know many emails. It just becomes so cumbersome that the offer never gets there, which I kind of think is their intention. And they actually go as far as to say in writing in the MLS, if you don't do this, we won't present your offers. You're not allowed to not present an offer if it's written on a napkin. You are required to deliver that to your client. If it is a verbal offer, although ill-advised, you are required to tell your client. You don't get to make these rules. It is not your game. You are not a participant in the transaction. You are an agent. That means you are an arm of someone else's body. Yeah. Okay, so... And it goes to the question of who's in charge. Right. So many of these things... uh, Am am I working for... I'm the buyer. Mm -hmm. Are you working for me or am I working for you? Right. It it, it becomes crazy. That actually is a good lead-in, though. So you're talking about kind of bullying on that side of, Mm -hmm. you know, in the MLS where consumers can't see, but also using that same tact to tell consumers how they're going to sell their house or when or to whom, right? Right. You know, and that's something that, that really concerns me. I don't think... Buyers know this, nor necessarily should they, until their agent advises them, and they should. And that is fair housing laws in the state of California do apply to sellers period. Mr. and Mrs. Seller, you can be sued if you do not sell your house to the highest and most qualified buyer. You cannot cherry pick your buyer. You cannot pick John and Jane Doe because they have two little kids just like you did when you bought the house. You can't. If Joe and and Bert, you know, a a same-sex couple want to buy it and they offer, you know, $20,000 more than anybody else and you don't pick them, you are opening yourself for a lawsuit, period, end of story. You know, so agents need to actually advise their clients on what they can and cannot do legally. And the tragedy is most agents aren't even aware of that. I've heard of agents passing their real estate exams because someone else took it for them. When they were doing their continuing education online, they weren't even doing it. Someone else was. 
it's shocking the shenanigans that go on behind the scenes it's shocking you know and then these are the types of agents where if you get into escrow with them let's say one of these idiots is on the other side of it they will commonly deliver a demand for performance before it's due because in residential real estate buyers must remove you know impediments to closing a sale however they are contractually agreed usually within 17 days and one of these bullies will often send a demand for performance on day 15 because a demand for performance gives you two days to snap into compliance but it shouldn't be delivered until someone is not performing so the, on this whole bucket of behavior, let's just categorize it as things that make Wendy crazy <laughs> are unprofessional, but also a second set of behavior that could be connected to that because of being uneducated or just trying to you know, skirt the rules a little bit. The second set of behavior is misleading off-market sellers about having a buyer in hand mm-hmm. or even the benefit of selling off-market. Right. And I am not going to say all off-market sales are bad. Some of them probably are perfectly fine, but the vast majority of off-market sales, when there is so little inventory in the marketplace, I mean, think about it. If if you were going to sell your house, Kara, and I walked up to you and said, I have a buyer willing to give you a million dollars, you're like, wow, I didn't realize it was worth that much. That sounds great. Well, what if we had put your home on the MLS and literally every human with internet connection on the globe would know it was for sale? What are the odds you wouldn't get a higher offer? I mean, like 99.9%, you would get competing offers as good as or better. Because there would be demand then. Because there would be demand. Let's just say I brought you a buyer and I was going to represent the buyer and you because I'm double ending this off market and I'm going to make, you know, however much I can ring out of you, I can make out of it, right? And my buyer really does overpay. Well, how is that a good thing? It's a good thing for you. I'm accountable to the buyer too if I do that. It's just not a good thing. It not only does it open the agent and their broker for future litigation, it also exposes the, the seller for potential future litigation. It's just not a smart thing to do. It's a big old hot mess, so stay away from it, right? People are going to tell you it's easier, it's faster, we're still in a pandemic, you're not going to have germs, you're not going to have that, you know, your priceless Fabergé egg collection won't be disturbed. It's bullshit. Just put the Fabergé egg bullshit. collection away. Right? <laughs> and get more money. Okay. All right, so another third set of behavior here Mm -hmm. is that you've seen agents put their needs and their wants above clients. Time and time again. And it's not even like it's my interpretation. It's conspicuous. Now, tell us about, as we were preparing for the show, you were talking about that you once represented a man who was buying his neighbor's home. Right. And they would would meet, they would talk casually about it. They'd go walk their dogs and, hey, how's it going, you know? Yeah. And what happened then? Well, see, my guy was selling his single story home in this tract that he loved because they they had more children and they were outgrowing the home. The neighbor had a two story home, same tract. He's like, this is perfect. We don't have to move very far. He said it was putting on the market. We waited for their agent. It was an agent I know. I'm like, yay. So the, you know, seller and buyer would meet on the street and buyer would be like, hey, you know, I was thinking it would really be nice if I could keep your, you know, outdoor barbecue or whatever it was. The seller was like, yeah, no problem. So I'd go to the agent and say, I need to write an addendum. We need to add that the seller is going to leave the outdoor barbecue. And the agent would get back to me and go, no, he, he's not going to agree to that. He already agreed to it. No, he didn't. The agent was literally just too lazy to ask his client what he wanted to do. He would just push back on me and say no. And I'm like, you're not even asking your client. And then the agent got pissed at me and says, you're not supposed to be talking to my client. And I'm like, I'm not their neighbors. We can't prevent them from bumping into each other on the street. They live next door to each other. Come on. 
It was nuts. They're coming together because they are neighbors. Yeah. Right? And, and then, you know, I think I mentioned this on a sh- our prior show. I heard from someone. It, it wasn't anyone that, you know, it, I didn't do this. But this guy had a friend who had a home that he'd had forever and ever and ever, an oceanfront home that was worth roughly $5 million. Um, he decided to sell it. He hired the big name that he had seen around, you know, the big swing and D, my favorite thing. And the big swing and D got him a really good cash offer with a really fast close. Didn't even ask the seller where he was going to move or if he had found a place or what was going on. Just said, sign here. Seller signed the deal. He had 10 days to get out of his house and had no ability to find another place to live. He freaked out and called his agent and said, I need more time. I, I, I have nowhere to go. And the agent was like, too bad. Too bad. Did not care. The agent was going to make over $100,000 on that deal. What the hell did he care? His needs and wants were satisfied. Didn't even think that. And the death. seller was ostensibly homeless. Yeah. All right, then. Yeah. And I think I, I may have mentioned this before, too, because I, I guess I do complain a lot. Um, <laughs> but a friend of mine who's a, a tech guru who literally travels the world, he's a globe trotter. He and his, his soon-to-be, his estranged wife, put their home on the market, and their listing agent delivered to them um, the buyer's request for repairs without explanation, without any advice or counsel. And they were like, oh, okay, I guess we've got to fix all this stuff. So he's wasting days and days and days hunting down vendors and contractors and parts and nonsense to fix this piddly-ass little list of stuff that if it was me, I would have said, offer them $2,000 and be done with it. You know, and when you're talking about again, this was you know multi million dollar home, two grand was far better for him than wasting days of his precious time as a globe trotting executive chasing down this nonsense. But his his agent was too busy going on to the next deal to even bother to explain that they didn't have to do this. Wow, her needs were more important than theirs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's make your head explode just a little bit more. Can, can, can you handle the fourth point now? Um, what about? I should have had a cocktail. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry for those long pl- right playing at home. Really, Paul, you're supposed to share with us. You only gave us water, or is that vodka? In there? <laughs> I'll never tell. We'll never, never tell. tell. We'll never tell. All right. So talk about another set of behavior: writing offers with false or misleading terms. Can you even believe mm. this happens, Paul? Shouldn't. It couldn't. It can't. It often often does especially in the the most recent superheated environment where we had 20 and 30 buyers competing for a deal agents would actually say i have a cash buyer and they would write an offer as a cash offer when they knew full and well they were getting a loan it is required people john and jane doe homeowner the first page of the purchase agreement which is written and blessed by the attorneys for the state of California's Department of Real Estate. Attorneys have written this document where you must disclose whether it's all cash, provide proof of that cash, or if there is a loan. And if so, what are the terms of the loan? These details must be clarified. And to say that a buyer getting a loan is paying all cash is not constructive fraud. It is literally fraud. It is against the law. It is against the rules. And it happens every day. So home sellers, if you're not working with me, and you should be, but if you're not and you're listening to me and someone says, I've got a cash offer for you, make darn well they provide proof that they have the cash assets. As in greenbacks, as in truly cash, not has to be funded from something else. So what happens when you accept that offer and then they come out and say, oops, sorry, it's not really a cash offer. You kind of have to consult a lawyer at that point. Regrettably, the agent thinking that by that time they've blown out all the other deals. We'll just do this. To, we'll do this to stay in the running, and then yeah. we'll figure it out later. Yeah, and the agents have gotten away with it for so many years. They don't think that anyone's really going to enforce the rules. 
It's like, oh, those are guidelines. They actually say things to me like, well, what does it matter? Because it's going to be cash when they close anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not the state's attorney. I didn't write the form. Call them and ask them why they think it's important. All I know is that it's a requirement. Don't lie. Now, another behavior that's also a requirement is being able to present offers from outside agents. But you actually see other agents who will hoard them and not present them, Mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. What world is that possible? You know, until we develop different software, which hopefully is in the making, where agents, buyers, agents can deliver offers into a portal where a seller can see it without interference of their listing agent. And I say, I use that word deliberately because listing agents interfere and they cherry pick which offers they're going to show their seller. That's against the rules. That's against the law. You must present all offers, even if you think they're stupid. And I, unfortunately, have had to deliver offers that were painful for me to deliver to my sellers. I mean, delivering an offer that's 25% below market, it wasn't fun, but I had to. These agents, these listing agents, these sellers' agents are waiting until they get their own buyer and they're presenting that offer to the exclusion of others. That is discriminatory practice. That is actionable. And by actionable, I mean you can sue them. Don't do it. So many of these behaviors really come from this place of not understanding the law and the requirements of being an agent or a broker. Mm Another behavior that makes Wendy's head hurt (laughs) is this idea of, you know, you keep talking about committing outright or constructive fraud. And it can go, it can show up as something like withholding material facts, right? Right, right. What is a material fact under the law, or at least California law for, for agents? Material fact can can relate to either the seller or the property, or can it can apply to the transaction status. So a material fact about the property could be something like, um, you know that the prior owner's wife died on the premises, and the seller forgot to disclose it, and you don't remind them to disclose it, and you don't tell the buyer's side. That is withholding a material fact. And not only is it ill-advised, it's actionable. You yourself, your broker, and your seller can all be sued when the buyer later finds out, they, they close the sale, they move in, and the neighbor goes, oh, wow, glad you bought it. Even the Bertha died. And they're like, what? Yeah, that's withholding material fact. Another really common practice for listing agents is they will lie and they will tell buyer's agents, oh, yeah, we have seven offers when they don't. That's fraud. You can't do it. You gotta tell the truth, people. Gave me the numbers to make them look better. Yes. And let's just say that a seller had um, a water leak they told you about. And they're like, yeah, it was minor. I didn't do an insurance claim. I just had it fixed. And not disclosing that. That's withholding material fact. This is actionable. Especially because there could be mold there. Yeah. There. So, morbid question here. Sure. In, in light of COVID, mm-hmm. with the potential number of deaths that occurred at home, mm-hmm. are you seeing an uptick in disclosures? Or are you thinking that people are not actually disclosing such things and selling homes? I personally have not seen an uptick in such things, and I don't know if it's because people aren't dying in homes or if it's because they're not disclosing it. For example, in the last six months, um, I recall showing two homes where it was disclosed. There was a death on premises. Another thing, people, when we get back into the whole fair housing thing, you don't get to ask what they died of. The only legally permissible disclosure 
interestingly, would be if they died of HIV AIDS. All right, well, let's jump into that because that's actually bad behavior number seven is that agents who improperly advise clients on the <laughs> fair housing and other laws that impact all parties. Yeah. You touched a little bit about fair housing, but fair housing is exactly that. It's to make sure that there's not discriminatory practices right. that occur that prevent equal access to housing for everyone, right. correct? Right, because we don't, we don't want to involuntarily or unwittingly commit redlining. Um, or steering. A seller will commonly, naively ask for personal information about the buyers, and their agent must push back and say, it is illegal for me to ask for that information or give it to you if I know it. It is against the law. You don't get to know their nationality, you don't get to know their religion, you don't get to know their familial makeup, meaning are they of the same sex, do they have kids, do they not have kids? You do not get to ask, period, end of story. So, and, and again, like I said before, a seller must accept the buyer's offer. If there are multiple competing buyers, they must accept the offer that has the highest and best overall terms. And I say overall deliberately because they can accept an an offer that doesn't have the highest purchase price on it. For example, let's say one buyer offered a million dollars, another buyer offered a million too. And the buyer that offered a million said, I've got cash, here's the proof of it, I will close in five days. And the seller really wants to get sold. And the $1.2 million buyer is getting a loan. They could reasonably justify having accepted the cash offer. That's a reasonable justification because the overall terms make sense. But you can't pick someone because they have two kids and a dog and you think they're cute. You can't do it. Even if it's for a sweet reason like that, it's still discrimination. Even if it's because they've got a mom that's disabled and your mom was disabled. Stop it. It's against the law. So hand in hand with that is a tangential behavior called behavior number eight that makes Wendy's head hurt. Mm -hmm. And it's the agents acting like they're negotiating as if they're part of the the deal, really. Right. Right. Like like the buyer's agent that calls me and says, well, we're offering this because of blah, 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 blah. And they try to convince me. I'm like, A, I'm not the seller. So stop talking. And B, you know you're an idiot, right? I mean, it's the 30% below market. But yeah, no, stop negotiating with me. And stop trying to negotiate. You're not the client. I'm not the client. If I sound clinical to you, too bad. It's because I'm doing my job. Thank you so much for your offer. I will present it. That is all you're going to hear. And that's all you're, you should expect to hear. Because again, you are the agent. Correct. So we have two final behaviors. I think we saved the best for last, Paul. Can we do the? Can we expect to do the uh, the shout out to our sponsor though? Right now, can we do that? If we must. If we must. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we have to because you surround yourself with such cool people, That's and true. we want to make sure that everybody recognizes that they're not just getting you; they're getting a whole network of people like our sponsor. Ford and Diulio, an Orange County-based boutique litigation firm with experienced attorneys from the big law firms. Founders who created this company did so on the concept of aligned interests, where their success is related to your success, where they're rewarded for being efficient and effective and not just for dragging it out or getting it done real quickly uh, to please their uh, bottom line, and where they engage in the relentless pursuit of their clients' goals whether it's litigation, mediation, or trial. If any of that sounds familiar, it's what Wendy's been preaching for some time. They're there to take care of you, not the other way around. If that's what you're looking for in a lawyer, try FordDiulio.com, F-O-R-D-D-I-U-L-I-O.com, FordDiulio.com. Quick question, because I know you got two more to go to here. <laughs> okay. If not more. Bring it. Is it, you, you, you gave me two stats that I think must go to the whole core of why this problem exists. Mm -hmm. One is that there are a record low number of homes on the market Mm -hmm. for sale. 
that must mean people fighting and scrapping and thinking they got to cut corners or be aggressive or do other things to Correct. get the deal. So it, it brings out the worst in people's behavior. And the other one I think is even more important, which you said at the beginning of the show, a record number of people in the field. Mm-hmm. Why? are there those seem to be in conflict you would think if there's few homes there'd be few people entering to be real estate agents is the there's a mismatch here the there isn't a need for more agents instead we got a record number and therefore they're probably not very well trained or very well versed in the law they're just jumping in there that's a great question Um, and let me point out that just because i come here every week and i tell you how many homes there are for sale doesn't mean that the average agent knows the average (laughs) agent is blissfully unaware of whether or not we have normal inventory level and they don't even know how to get the data and they have the same resources I do I just chose to use them so I would go as far as to say many people who are entering this market are unaware that there are so many people with licenses they are unaware that there is so little to sell and they are unaware that most brokers are going to charge the monthly whether or not they sell anything so the broker wins the broker is happy to add to their roster because the broker is going to get money the brokers are in it for profit, period, end of story. But the people who are hiring the agents. Correct, the people who are hiring the agents. So, you know, and, and they're not gonna, they don't train them. You know, I've never been at a broker's office where they conducted um, MLS training and the multiple listing service is where we can get all of this wonderful statistical wow. data. It's there, you just need to know how to use it. Um, and, and I ended up at most of the big boxes where I worked, I ended up teaching agent classes on how to use the MLS and the tools because I felt sorry for them. I felt sorry that they didn't know how to use the tools. I felt sorry that they didn't know um, how to value property. Property, and that's actually my next pet peeve. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's. All right. Sorry, Paul. Let's just get yeah. into it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to bring it home. The final two behaviors that real estate agents do that make Wendy's head explode. Yeah. Maybe just hurt. Yeah. All right. And sooner or later, it is going to explode. It I might. Mean, yeah. Your head might explode after you hear this I'm, one, which is this idea. Every week here. I know. Which is this idea that agents use canned market data in sales pitches or, you know, any any conversations. And we kind of segued into this talking about mm-hmm. MLS data and others. But how does this how does this happen? They're supposed to be market analysts, right? Right. And and let me preface my answer with this. I get probably 10 emails a day from other agents who aren't even aware that they have other realtors on their email list. God only knows how they got me on their list because I promise you I did not opt in. You know, I didn't. But I don't opt out because I get to see the nonsense that they're telling people. And so among the nonsense that they're telling people, two or three a day will send me the same exact market report that they got from the state, from the MLS, from our trade associations. So they're sending out this statewide market update, or sometimes they get their title company to give them a county update to someone as if that's gospel. Most of these reports are 30 to 60 days old, so it's stale data. Most of them are too broad to be specific to any homeowner because all real estate is hyper-local. Period. End of story. Yesterday, I was doing an analysis for a client pointing out to him that the year-over-year increase this July versus last July for the cities of Lake Forest, Aliso Viejo, and Rancho Santa Margarita were all different. The rate of appreciation was different. And those are all 
South Orange County cities. Yeah, hop, skip, and a jump from each other. But when these people are spewing this data going, oh, well, this and this and then this percent and that percent, it's bullshit. They haven't done their homework because they don't know how. And if you're talking about a report that's 30 to 60 days old, you may shrug your shoulders and say, well, that doesn't sound like it's too old. However, what you present to us is our market shifted dramatically almost overnight in exactly. May. It's skidded so, to a halt. Yeah. So those reports would be grossly inaccurate right. right now. And they're still sending clients data going, homes are selling in 10 or 11 days. So Joe Blow, who is currently listed with another agent and their home's been on the market 36 days, is suddenly disgruntled going, I need to figure out how to fire this agent and hire that agent. It's bullshit, people. Ooh, she went there, Paul. Don't don't hold back, Wendy. She Let went us know there. what you really think here. I, 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 I wish right. you'd just tell us the truth. Right? We might hear a few more <laughs> expletives now because the final behavior that makes Wendy's head hurt is, dun, 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 agents lying about their track record or sales history. Oh, How must, can they do this? They isn't must this, all do that. They isn't must. this all publicly available data, though? No, no, it's not. And isn't it funny how many signs, billboards, postcards, you know, whatever you see that says number one agent in Orange County, number one agent at Coldwell Banker, number one agent at Brooke. Really? How many number one agents? Number one liar. Right. (laughs) Or or my personal favorite, you know, when when so-and-so says I sold 200 homes last year or whatever. So let me like rip off a couple band-aids here. Take notes or just keep replaying this podcast over and over until you learn this. If someone says to you, I've been selling Orange County homes for 20 years, and their real estate license begins with 02-something-something, <laughs> no, they haven't. <laughs> real estate license licenses are issued from the state, from Sacramento, from the California Department of Real Estate, in numerical, sequential order. I got mine 20 years ago, and mine starts with 014. If someone comes to you, and their license number starts with like 0189-something-something, They've probably had it for 10 years. But if someone comes to you and their license number is like 0219 something something, the ink's not even dry. It is not possible for them to have sold more than a few houses. I mean, it, they haven't been licensed long enough. It's not possible. And, and so beyond that, so look at their license number, people. And the license number is required to be on any first thing they hand you. If they hand you a flyer at an open house, their license number must be on there. If they hand you a business card, so what does the license, license number be on there. tell me again how I see this? So when the, they hand me the business card, it's the, got a license number. It's a big long, ten digit number. It seems like always there. It's a big long number. Oh, for it's eight digits. Eight digits. Okay. <laughs> Did right. you see her? She was counting on her fingers. <laughs> yeah. By the way, eight. So eight digits. So, and what are the ones I should look at? Just the first few numbers. So far, they all start with zero because the DRE was planning ahead. They, they made it a really long field, probably for t- software reasons and tech reasons. So, like mine starts with the zero one four. I've seen people whose license numbers start with zero one one, and there's a few people who've been doing this for like 40 some odd years and their license numbers are 009 something something. I've never seen one older Is there than a that. 007? <laughs> I haven't seen one. Mm. I think 007 is probably not with us anymore because the 009s are all in their 70s and older. Okay. They're, okay. they're older people. Established people. Established, yes. But if you see one that starts with 02 something, they're new. They're very new to the market. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying make sure they have some supervision. Okay, so we know that we can look at um, this number to understand how long they've been in the market, mm-hmm. which would mean, you know, you know, maybe if they have a few more years under their belt, they're a little bit more knowledgeable, let's hope. Hopefully. But there's another stat that we see a lot, especially on social media, right. which is, I sold 200 homes last year. Right. 
That right. sounds like it's a good thing. Like, wouldn't more volume mean more experience? I think at more volume is great. However, I think that when you are an agent for someone, you are required to explain to them what they're doing and why it's functionally impossible for one brain to do all that work. And here's why. So let's just do the math. Let's say I say I sold 200 homes last year. And let's say I say I work six days a week and I never take a vacation. Not true, but that's what I'm saying, okay? That would be 312 working days. So at 200 homes that I sold, that means I'm closing a sale every one and a half days. And each transaction side comes with roughly, I don't know, 200 pages of stuff. And there's there's 30 some odd pages just for the initial offer. And then there's financial disclosures and there's environmental disclosures. Then there's the back and forth negotiation disclosures. There's the buyer's inspection reports that the buyer is required to read and they deliver to the seller and the seller reads. There's the appraisal reports. There are hundreds of pages of documents that each agent is required to explain to their client. And let's say they're really fast readers and it only takes them 400 minutes to read 200 pages. That's still 6.7 hours of stuff per transaction side. When do they have time to network? When do they have time to jaunt off to Catalina and do all the crazy shit that they're posting on Instagram that makes you think that they're sensational people? You know, they're cruising around in their Ferraris and they're taking post, you know, pictures of all of this stuff. When are they explaining all this stuff to their clients? They're not. If they're closing 200 deals a year, which some totally are, it's because they have a team. The agent, whom you know, got your autograph on a contract and they didn't do a damn thing after that. Everyone else did. So whose brain is working on this? Who's advising the client? Who Are the inmates running the prison? Is that who you want to represent you? And if you're a seller and you say, I don't care, remember my words. You are accountable for their missteps. So if they do something wrong and there is a failure to do something properly, they are your agent. They are a part of your body. And your buyer, after closing escrow, can sue you because your agent dropped the ball. Think long and hard, people. Buyer beware, especially in litigious California. It's called and, the land and of the do you want to be just part of the machine and they're just spitting it out or do you want to have some real hand holding some bespoke uh, well let me tell you when i go to ford and julio because they're not just my sponsors they are my my attorneys right. they are my counsel when i go to their office office if i don't speak with mr ford or mr julio i'm not happy why would someone selling the biggest investment of their life sign with you know an agent and then never speak to that person again and put up with it why would you do that that makes no sense it really doesn't and yet we all do no we don't all do it but a a lot of of us do because we're all we're thinking of is the house and no one is explaining what i'm explaining no and everyone thinks this is a normal part of this process and it doesn't have to be that's the key i think we all just assume this is a painful thing and i just got to get through it you know, it doesn't have to be. I have clients right now who are selling their homes in this market, which is not as pretty a market as it was in April. It's not. And I'm having to deliver them to them not offers that are full price with no contingencies, not offers that are 110% of their list price. I'm having to deliver offers that are 20 to 30% below market value because buyer's agents are not advising their clients. And I'm having to have difficult conversations. But my clients are well-informed. My clients are prepared. My clients know I'm advocating for them. And that's the difference. And why would you not want an advocate? I just don't get it. And while we've couched all of this and being a little bit funny and a little bit snarky, it really does come from that place of 
helping to educate consumers so that they can make the best decisions for themselves. Yes, it doesn't have to be a painful process, Paul. So many of my clients, in fact, one of my current sellers, who so far we still don't have the price that she wants, but we're going to get it. We're getting really close. She called me yesterday and said, what would it take for me to be one of your agents? Mm -hmm. She wants to work for me. Wow. That's, That's a, a testament. Yeah. My heart just about exploded. I was so, Aww. so flattered. Oh, so maybe we'll do a show on 10 things that makes Wendy's heart explode. That would be nice. And then it would be all Let's lovey-dovey things. Yeah. All that, right, we're going to end it. To our next segment, yeah, right? we're going we're gonna to end it on a lovey-dovey note, actually, Paul. Yes. Because, you know, um, Wendy usually asks her guests various questions that are from the you know Vanity Fair questionnaire. Right. And we're going to do a little bit of a take on that because this show is about the SoCal estate of mine. It's not only about the home, but it is about what goes and happens in the home as well as the neighborhoods Living around it. Here, just yeah. living here yeah. and Wendy is an Orange County lover and really gets involved in the community and also has an impeccable palate and just is always into the best taste making things I'll go on so oh just go on <laughs> so and the other thing that you always talk about is how much you love living in Santa Ana mm-hmm. and you're really committed to giving a different perspective of it totally so you know just Tell us, you know, when you're not representing your clients Mm -hmm. and educating other realtors and doing all of these things, what are you doing, seeing, shopping at, dining at in Santa Ana? Well, I don't think she has time. She's selling 500 homes a a month. (laughs) I have to tell you. With mimosa in hand. If anyone in Orange County has not been to the Bowers Museum in Santa Ana, you are missing out. They have the most incredibly curated various collections I've ever seen. And I have often, throughout my childhood, since childhood, gone to museums. you got to go check out the Bowers. It is incredible. It's literally world class. Just did a show with them. Listen to our uh, Impact OC program, our public affairs program. We interview charities, and we had them in recently about the uh, Everest uh, exhibit. And they had some people come and talk about climbing Mount Everest. It was riveting. My wife went with me, and she would normally be like, eh, I'm not sure I'm really into this. It mm-hmm. was so riveting. Yeah, it, they're just brilliant. I love them. I love that I live so nearby. Um, and then foods, food, food. I'm a foodie. My stepmother is a chef. Um, I'm dating a chef. Mm-hmm. Benchmark Restaurant. It's an alfresco outdoor-themed restaurant. They have tables under these beautiful oak trees. It's stunning. The food is divine. You've got to go see Dwayne Greenleaf and Pedro, the owners. They're incredible. Love, love, love that restaurant. And, of course, if you haven't been to the Blinking Owl Distillery, you got to go. There's actually I, a I distillery in Santa Ana. We had them in one time. I don't know why we didn't go. Gotta go. Say, yeah. it, it Wendy, is, you've never taken me there. You've never even talked about it to me. <gasps> oh, I'm in trouble. Okay, we're going to the Blinking Owl right after this. If yeah. anyone wants to, we'll be there after this. Okay, they're, I'll they're do a quick shout out. vodka is amazing. Because there are, they're, they're custom uh, wineries, you know, we're, we're used to that. We're accustomed to that in Southern California. You can yeah. go taste the wine from the winemaker. Yeah. Even in Orange County, there's some little places, shops, you can go taste wines. There's certainly lots of breweries uh, and uh, custom uh, places where they brew beer on premises. Yeah, yeah, and this is one of the very few distilleries very few. Yeah. in existence. And their menu's divine. Oh my gosh, they, they rotate, but if the deviled eggs are still on the menu, you gotta have them. They're incredible. Mm, oh, so, so, so good. And also, I have to give a shout out to a fun, fast clothing boutique called Vibes. It's on 4th, 4th Avenue in downtown Santa Ana. And this charming young couple opened it, and they are just the bomb. I mean, Alex has amazing taste. I went and bought a bunch of things for myself and for my girl 
girlfriends. Please go support the local businesses. If you want a cute outfit for your next date, go see Alex at Vibes on 4th. She is darling and her, her clothing choices and accessories are wonderful. Oh, I like that. We'll pick up an outfit at Vibes and then hit one of the restaurants. We'll go to Blinking, Blinking, Blinking Owl. Owl for a cocktail, yes. for a happy hour, and then go to Benchmark for dinner. Boom. Done. Love it. All right, then. You can find us there. Okay. All right. And you can find me anywhere you like to listen to your podcast this week with Wendy. Thank you for telling us the truth because too, too often we don't, we're so cynical these days. We think there's nobody on our side. Everybody's out to get us. And when you go through these things, you groan and you say, okay, how bad am I going to be? fleeced this thank time. you thank you for understanding it it's really, yeah, really my intention to make people better informed to make better decisions well thank you i look forward to uh, many more of these I, I look forward to the ones that make you happy there must be uh, that'll be fun uh, all right good